Hey, good morning, everybody. I am so excited you are here. Austin, I'm really excited for you to be here. We're going to be talking about a lot of fun things. We're talking about love and all the things that go along with love and marriage. And so this is going to be really fun uh, for us to talk about, and I'm super pumped. My name is Chris Pleckenpole, and I'm the lead pastor at Wells Branch Community Church. And one thing I love is questions. All right, so uh, we had a Man, we, I got a lot of feedback uh, from uh, last Tuesday's Pastor Plex podcast, and it, makes it, it can be very offensive at times, but also very encouraging. So we love feedback. So come on, uh, text the number right here, and whatever question you ask, we're going to eventually get to it. We got a flurry of them last uh, week, so we'll, have, we'll be still working through all those. But please, send more questions, uh, whether it's over the sermon today or anything faith, culture, everything in between. We talk about it. Um, okay. We're in a series called Love and Marriage. And when you think love and you think February, you think Valentine's Day. And every single person in here just sort of like, it's like, a, like you just stab them in the gut and you're just like, nah, 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 as they're, they're just sort of like feeling the weight of their singleness. Is that right, Katie? Yes. All right. So, <laughs> so, so what happens is the reality that it's like just like this unbearable weight. And it's like, how come we have to talk about this every February? Because that's stupid Valentine. All right. So like there's this reality. I get that, that it's like oh, infuriating. So I want to sort of redeem that. We're going to talk dating. Okay. And that's the love part. And then we're going to talk about marriage. Not that there's not love in marriage, but th- sometimes... <laughs> Whenever you're in marriage, you're thinking that you wish there was more love. So we're going to work on that, okay? We're going to work on that. And um, really my heart, can I just tell you my heart behind this? Uh, Like, what's the big idea for this series? Um, The culture has had a shift. I mean, duh. Um, In the Bible, it says God is love. And then so through associated properties of math, you guys know this? So if you say God is love, you can also say love is God. You guys are, this must be the smart service. All right, so when you say God is love, and then you say love is God, you're like, see? And so what happens when you say it, you're saying that love, you've elevated love to God's status, which love, whatever that means, was never meant to be put in that position. But God, the God of the Bible, he designed love, and the Bible says God is love. And so we're going to learn what that means. Because there's a tendency in every one of us, when we make love our God, we start to become caricatures of ourselves. Do you guys know what I mean? And can I do Disney caricatures to just because, like, why not? Because, Dis- I mean, who hasn't seen Disney things? And, like, that makes your whole life better. All right, so we can make love God when we're characterized by, name this character. I'm going to cover up the name. Who is that? Oh, you are good. All right, Gaston, all right? And, and Gaston, I, I, you love Gaston. If you guys don't know who Gaston is, he is from Beauty and the Beast, okay, right? And so uh, he's not the beauty, actually. Uh, nor is he the beast, uh, ironically. But he is a guy that is sort of like the uh, antagonist of the entire thing. He wants to marry Belle, uh, who's the, the beautiful girl of the village, who isn't in, like all the other girls. She likes to read. She likes to learn. She's got personal ambition. And she, she pretty much ignores Gaston, which makes him what? Like, he's like, I want that that does not want me. He's going to go conquer another thing. In fact, his wedding proposal, which it's not really, pro- it's like a wedding announcement to Belle that you're going to be married to me, like, you know, of course. And this is kind of how he lays it down for her. He's like, Belle, and he puts his feet on the, her kitchen table and says, very soon, you're going to be massaging my feet. 
I know, I know. Your, your dreams are about to come fully true. And then uh, you are going to be, imagine, you're going to be cooking uh, the latest kill of my wandering through the forest. And for the, I've shot the biggest beast. And you will be pushing it through and carving it up and dressing it for all the men that are coming over. And then you're going to bear about six or seven of my kids, strapping young lads. And, and Belle is like, mm. I don't deserve you, right? You guys remember this, right? And so what it is, is what Gaston says, I am going to, I want a relationship for what it's going to do for me. You, Belle, are going to be my accessory, all right? And this isn't limited to just men being Gaston. Women can be a Gaston as well, Gastona. And uh, we can have that ability to kind of look at someone. You are going to, you're here to serve me, okay? And then what about this? Uh, we've got love is God when it's characterized by Ariel. Now, Ariel is looking for a love to save her, right? She was born in this fish body, and it was really unfortunate. And what she really wants to be is free, and she wants to walk. And she literally sells her soul to Ursula, right? Like, hey, if, if you know, and it's like a big bet. If I can get this guy to fall in love with me, then I will be saved, and I can be the person I've always meant to be. And so what happens is you've got uh, this sort of reality, like I'm looking for this person to save me and we put them in a position that was only meant for and that's part of the problem jesus is who is going to save us okay and then this is this might go a little too old school for some of you guys all right ready let's see if i can if you guys can name this well all right you might know them but where are they from man you guys nailed it all right so drizella and anastasia it's I want it now. I don't care what I have to give up. I'm going to get that love. In fact, we all are familiar with the Disney version of Cinderella. But do you know there's like two earlier versions of books? All right, Brothers Grimm is like the classic. All right, and what, is, what do these two do? Drizella chops off a toe to fit it into the uh, slipper. Get in there. The worst. It fits. No, there's a little blood. I may have gotten the slipper a little bloody, but and then Anastasia chops off part of her heel to get her foot inside the slipper. I don't care what it takes. I'm willing to sacrifice and do whatever I need to do for the love that I crave. Okay, and that's sort of the reality of like where we find ourselves in our culture today. And um, so what's going to be fun is I'm going to be inviting Adrian up here to talk with me. And if you know Adrian. She gets very vulnerable, and so it'll be really exciting and really fun for Austin. So that'll be good. All right. <laughs> Austin's my son up here, by the way. He's, he's eight. Okay. Uh, so we're excited about this, and I'm excited for you to experience all this. We're going to be in Proverbs chapter 5. And would you guys pray with me as we open up God's Word and we uh, just pray over the proclamation and reading of it? Father, thank you that you're in complete control. God, I, I know there are people here that um, are single, that want to be married, that are married and want to be single. Uh, there are people that are just frustrated, and they've been trying everything, and it's not working. Um, and, and there are people here that are ready to get things back on track, and they're ready to do the right thing, and they're ready to live out the love that you have for them. And God, it gets all confusing. And so God, I pray that you would, um, over this four weeks, as we sort of reveal our hearts and where they're at, you would work with us and you would help us to be uh, children of the King, living the way you've designed us. We love you, God. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, okay, here we go. 
Proverbs chapter 5, we're going to start at verse 1. My son, okay, immediately you're like, who's the mine, who's the son? This is King Solomon is writing the proverb, okay? He's the king, arguably and biblically, the smartest guy that ever lived, only second to Jesus, good, all right? So uh, <laughs> someone was like, another answer. I was like, I don't know if you, anyway. So Solomon is talking to Rehoboam and the crew, all right? So this could be his oldest son, Rehoboam. It could be the other sons. He, he mentioned sons later, but this is Solomon. And he's like, be attentive to my wisdom. And you're, when I read this, he's about to talk about relationships, and it's like, you're kind of going for relationship advice from Hugh Hefner, all right? Like, it's like, this guy, I'm not sure if he fully wraps his head around the reality of, like, where he's been and what he's done. But he knows how it can go great and how it can go not so great. All right, be attentive to my wisdom. Incline your ear to my understanding that you may keep discretion and your lips may guard knowledge. And then we're going to get into what he's talking about. For the lips of a forbidden woman, a.k.a. prostitute. Okay, just we're going to get that out there. That's what he's talking about. In fact, the whole Proverbs 5 is like, don't go to the brothel. All right, like if you're just like wondering, that's what this is about. However, there is some heart issue behind going to the forbidden woman that he's going to get to. All right, so we're going to kind of nuance that and pull out like the heart issues that his sons may have. And maybe it's revealing what his heart has, okay? Because like father, like son, he's like, listen, you're going to be tempted by what? The, forbi- the lips of forbidden woman drip honey, and her speech is smoother than oil. She is, I want to serve you. I want to make your life great for a price. And now watch what happens. But in the end, she is bitter as wormwood, sharp as a two-edged sword. Her feet go down to death. Her steps follow the path to Sheol. Sheol is um, the ancient term for the place of the dead. Now, at this point in Proverbs of the time of King Solomon, Sheol wouldn't really have the difference of heaven and hell. That would come a little bit later in Isaiah 26, 19. is sort of the first reference to the resurrection of the dead. But still, this is the place where the dead go, and it's sort of hopeless, okay? This is hellish. She does not ponder the path of life. Her ways wander, and she does not know it. Now, in other words, a love that only serves me promises heaven and delivers hell. Now, Adrian, do you want to come on up here? And we're going to talk more about this. And I want as she's coming up, uh, there's one thing that I've sort of noticed in the culture. Do you, maybe this is just because I watch a lot of TV, and I probably need to not watch as much. But uh, the reality is it used to be like the culture would say, okay, you need to date, then you're going to have sex, and then you're going to get married because you feel bad enough about it, okay? All right, so, but then the culture has gone, you're going to go to non-date. You guys know what I'm talking about, non-date? You're going to hang out and <laughs> you're going <laughs> to Netflix and chill, okay? All right, I wasn't quite going there, but yeah. Then you make it FBO, Facebook official, okay? So you go from hanging out. You, you're then uh, together long enough that someone gets upset that there, there might be someone else trying to vie for contention for the relationship. So it is announced, the DTR, to define the relationship happens, and you go FBO, Facebook official. Then the next step is what? It's we're moving in because, you know, you already have the toothbrush there. You already have a spare set of clothes. And you're like, it's just way cheaper to just move in. 
And so that's what you, and then like that's the big thing. Like you have a house warming, oh, we're moving in together. And then after you move in together, you, then you propose, and then you're engaged, and then you pull off a big party, and it's called your wedding. All right, that, that's like the new standard, okay, in case you were wondering like what the secular culture does. That's sort of how it goes. And, and everyone's like, well, yeah. And the reality, the Christian sex ethic is way different. And so what I want us to get us to, to kind of wrap our head around is that, especially when in the realm of dating, because like that's like not a Bible thing, really. It's kind of something that our culture sort of created. And we're like, ah, no one's going to go for the arranged marriage thing. So I don't know what else we do here. All right, so that, well, I want us to talk about dating because it gets really typical. And so I'm going to throw Adrian um, under the bus right off the bat, and she can kind of tell stories uh, about her life and her dating experiences. Uh, but how does, Adrian, how does a love that only serves me promise heaven but deliver hell? All right, so first of all, going back to these examples, this love that only serves me, this is a Gaston, like, persona, Or Gastona. Right? Yeah. I always called him Gaston, but whatever. It's fine. Gaston. So Chris and I both kind of identify with this character. Unfortunately, this is where you put two people that arrogant together, and it works. <laughs> And all our problems just magically just melt <laughs> you away. You fight, Ever. you know. Like, um, so anyway, this, but it manifests very differently. I think, I think typically in men and women, it, can, it manifests differently. So let's talk dating. Right. And so for, for me, when my background was like I came from a great home with parents that loved each other, and I had, a, I had viewed marriage in a positive light, and I wanted to be married. I thought that was kind of the ultimate thing. And I um, – I was a child of like what they call now purity culture, which the purity culture gets a really bad rap. But I'm here to say, like, if we can manipulate teenagers <laughs> into being pure, great. Like, that's great. That's aligned with the heart of God, and it worked. <laughs> it worked, and uh. we and I cared about purity. I value purity. And granted, there w- it's the purity culture. I understand had some downfalls, but everything has downfalls. And I'm here to say that there was probably more fruit from it than not. And so I was <laughs> excited to save myself for marriage. I was excited to, um, you know, not even hold hands because that was part of the thing. And um, I grew up with a great group of high school friends that we didn't date other people. We kind of just hung out with each other, and they, it was really fun guys and really fun girls, and we spent a whole lot of time together, and we didn't mess with this dating thing, really, and it was great, And I, but I knew I wanted to be married someday, and I was told by my parents, I was kind of raised from literally the age of, like, five. I was told that I was going to go. My entire family went to Abilene Christian University, like my grandparents and aunts and uncles and everybody, and everyone had met their spouse there, so that's what, that's what I was going to do. I was supposed to go there and I was supposed to find my husband. And I was taught literally like someday you're going to go find your husband at ACU and then you'll get married just like we did. (laughs) Well, it it didn't work like that. And I got to ACU and I was like very disappointed that this was not yielding the fruit that I had been fully expecting. And I was, I started to get a little bit resentful and tried to control different things in my life to feel better. But ultimately I got really disappointed and I was hurt. And I think that I, um, Christian colleges often have a lot of people who they went to church every Sunday and they talked a lot about spiritual things and, and valuing them, but they didn't actually really have a heart for God. They didn't what spend time they with like God. They were just Christian in name only? Yeah, Christian name only. They were hiding their sin. They were, um, 
it was strange. Like, I don't know why the, anyone desires to live that way. Like, what benefit that is, I don't know. But it was very, and I kind of, I think I was fooled by it a, f- a couple of times. And I thought that some of these people had depth and have had a relationship with God that they didn't have. And so I, I experienced some pretty big devastation, I think, from that experience and moved and flipped a switch. Like, I, I went to Dallas and got involved in a young adult ministry there, and I decided, like, forget this whole idea that I'm saving myself, that I'm like, my standards are obviously way too high. So there you, is, you I've did, never you gave met. up on purity culture? I, I did a bit. <laughs> and I've decided who cares about finding a guy that's like all these things spiritually. Like, I don't think they exist. And so I came, I became someone that was after a love to serve me. And I was going to feel good and I was going to feel powerful and I was going to feel attractive regardless of what that cost. And so I, um, I went around and created, like, little challenges for myself. So I would go to, like, singles events, and I would, you know, I would either find, depending on the day, it was, like, sometimes you're after the most attractive person in the room. Sometimes you're after the funniest person. Sometimes you're after the person that, like, really liked this other hot girl, and you were going to, like, see if they could. Like, it was a fun game for me, and I... I, like, it gave me such a high. Like, I would, when I was successful at, like, getting the attention that I wanted, that felt really good. And then that attention turned into then wanting to, like, make out with them because, you know, I still had standards. So making out was about as far as I would go for a long time. And then when you're in sin and you're in a sin that's serving you, well, you had to start getting darker and darker for it to keep having that same high effect and for it to keep feeling satisfied. So so it got darker, and and I became really disassociated. I completely disassociated. Uh, Like so, I was. It was almost like having out of body experiences, where you're emotionally just on a different on a different planet. You're not invested. Physical touch, physical affection. There was no connection to those things. It was like I was I was completely removed emotionally and. Um, it was affecting me emotionally, but I wasn't invested emotionally. I didn't care about these people. I was after being worshipped. And I never at the time recognized it as being worshipped, but looking back, that's what it was. Like, I was wanting the, uh, the, uh, like the praise and the attention of other people to feel good about myself. But the more that I received it, the more I needed it, and the more, f- the more fleeting the satisfaction of it was. And I think that that's the scary thing about something that prom- a, a self-serving love promises heaven, and it kind of satisfies temporarily. Like, it really did. And I think that's what kept me on this addictive pattern. Like, you talk about, I hear these people tell stories about drug years of drug addiction, and I always resonate, not because I've ever had a drug addiction, but because I, I know what it feels like to kind of get a high from something and then c- continue needing it to feel back even your greatest fear at that time was what oh yeah my greatest fear was a friday night with like no plans was like (laughs) i was like that was like my biggest fear and i would ensure that that wasn't gonna happen one way or another and because being lonely and feeling the reality of my loneliness and feeling the reality of the fact that like i wasn't married or i didn't have this great guy in my life that that was that was the thing i had to avoid at all costs and so by controlling and disassociating and finding a love that just served me i was pacifying that desire and it didn't i think that um it led to death. It led delivers hell is is a is a strong phrase, but I think it does. It, it delivered death, right? And um, I felt convicted in that. And eventually, I met Chris, and and Chris was amazing. Yeah. <laughs> 
this was everything I'd ever hoped to find. And so I was like, here, I'm going to sign up for this. I was like, of all the things, I'll, this is, I'll choose this, I've, and I'm signing up for this. But then I carried into my marriage this addiction to needing attention that didn't come from a covenantal love. Like, I wasn't after covenantal love. I was after this, like, high of attention. And so what happened then in marriage was kind of devastating I'll never forget poor Chris I like process everything with him as I'm feeling it so like probably three months into marriage I was like I'm having a really hard time because I'm used to going to the gym and like finding someone and then talking to them and like kind of feeling good about and I can't do that anymore and Chris is like oh I was very compassionate I'm in that sorry. Moment. <laughs> and I was like well I know but that, that's I had sin other issues, but I was good on that one <laughs> you good and I felt terrible like I was in sin I I desired something that was sinful and I had to like process like it, it damaged our relationship right that was a thing to work through having to reassociate physical affection and right. physical touch this is that like, was hard like <laughs> it was hard for me it was hard <laughs> for me to recognize that like this ma- this marital enjoyment that we could have needed to have emotions tied to it and, and had actual feelings attached to it. And it, it, pro- it took a few years to kind of heal some of these wounds that I developed because I was after a self-serving love mm. that was wrecking havoc on me internally. And although I was perfect <coughs> in every way, uh, I had issues too. I didn't grow up in purity culture, so uh, I didn't even know what that was until my 20s. And so, uh, yeah... <sighs> Probably the best way to describe, I, I was also, I'm also the Gaston person of like, I, I was looking for a love that serves me, an accessory, and kind of my deal. And I didn't realize that uh, until Adrian was able to help me see it. And because I'm a person that can do two things at once romance <laughs> and ministry, they're like one. Two birds, one stone. So here, so this is probably this is probably the best thing of our first year of marriage. Uh, so we just, I just become the pastor here at Wells Branch, and we, our, our one year anniversary was coming up. We got married here in Austin, and downtown, and we had the, we stayed at the AT and T. It's not Center, is it? The AT and T, yeah, AT and T Center, which is part of the UT campus. And there's a honeymoon suite there, and I reserved that one again. I stayed there again, and. And uh, we had a great night. And unbeknownst to her, I also planned a college ministry outreach <coughs> that she didn't know about. And so I, w- the plan was we would have a wonderful experience in the night downtown in Austin. And then we'd just walk across the campus. Oh, look, all the, all the young adults are down here. Who would have thought? And, like, you know, Adrian, of course, is, wasn't born yesterday. So she knew immediately. She put it all together. She's like, you double booked me. I mean, that's a strong word, double book. Um, here's just an opportunity. Here is us. Why don't we do some fun ministry? We get to play games with young people. And you could just like the infuriation. Uh, and that created a elevated conversation in the car later on. And what happened, the selfishness of my own heart was like, um, listen, I appreciate you. And listen, I'm going to do the thing. I did the thing. We did the one year. Now let's get back on my thing. And we can kind of move forward in our life because my thing is really the thing. And you're the accessory to that. And I didn't see that my heart was um, so focused on, on a goal and mission that she became not someone I was looking to serve. But you're ready to get on the bandwagon and join the the Chris team. Does that make sense? That's the place for the darkness of my heart that had never shifted from singleness to marriage. And here's the one thing I'd say about when it, dating people. Where are you guys at? 
you want to marry a person that you're willing to serve on their worst day because you're going to get that probably a lot more, especially those early years of marriage, more than you're going to get them on their best day. Are you with me? And everyone's like, no, oh, it's going to be different with us. Okay, all right, yeah. <laughs> and, all right, so, and, and I kind of was thinking just like how, I was thinking what cultural, you know, what song of the culture really represents this dynamic? And um, are you guys familiar with Cheerleader? You guys remember him? Oh, Omi, this guy, he's like, Oh, I think that I found myself a cheerleader. She is always right there when I need her. Yeah, yeah. Have you actually? Yeah, that was good. Come on. <laughs> all right. Now, have you ever actually read the lyrics to the song? Oh, it's hysterical. All right. So wha- listen to this. When I need motivation. <laughs> I love this. <laughs> when I need motivation, my one solution is my queen because she stays strong. She's always in my corner right there when I want her. All these other girls are tempting me. But I'm empty when you're gone. And they say, they say, do you need me? Do you think I'm pretty? (laughs) Do I make you feel like cheating? And I'm like, no, not really. (laughs) For the most part. Because, oh, I think I found myself a cheerleader. She is always right there when I need her. I always think I found myself a cheerleader right there when I need her. She walks like a model. She grants my wishes like a genie in a bottle. Yeah, yeah. Because I'm a (laughs) wizard of love. Boom, all right. Now that, now listen, you ask the question, is that a reflection of culture or is that feeding the culture? I don't know. It's just the reality. I think that's what happens to a lot of us. Listen, guys and girls, we're looking for accessories to our life to accentuate it, make it a little bit better and not cost me anything. And what happens? is that we become more selfish over time. And if you want to know why there's friction in your marriage, if you want to know why there's friction in our marriage, it's because I get all about me. And she gets all about her. And you put two Gastons together, (laughs) and that's going to be some flint and fire, all right? So I I want us to see that reality uh, before we sort of move on, is that, Inside you and inside me is that tendency to have the serve me. I want you to be an accessory to my thing. And one of the hardest things to do is lay down your life for the one whom you love. Because nobody talks about that in movies. You should have everything you want. You should have all the dreams and all the funds and all your options should be unlimited for forever. That's the message. But covenant love is really unique and really powerful. Okay, keep moving. Proverbs 5, verse 7. And now, O sons, listen to me, and do not depart from the words of my mouth. Now, remember, he's talking about heading to the red light district. Don't go there. But watch. He's like having to pound this. He's like, keep your way far from her, and do not go near the door of her house. Why is he having to repeat this? Because in his heart and in his son's heart, he knows that there's this like like a moth to the flame. But she's so pretty. Now, listen, don't we do this? Can, we're, okay, my dating people, can we just talk frankly for a second? What do you call it when you're in a relationship you know you shouldn't be in? And it's, you know, she's kind of crazy. He's kind of crazy. What do we call that? That's called toxic. I don't even have to prep you for that, right? We all know this. 
Why? We've been in it over and over, and the next relationship is probably going to be that one again. Because we put our life on repeat, and so like we need this message. Keep your way far from her. Keep your way far from him. Because there's this something in you that says, but I love her. Do you? Do you? No, you love what she can do for you. You love what he can do for you. And then here's why. Lest you give your honor to others and your years to the merciless. Like this is going to end up being painful. Let strangers take their fill of your strength, and your labors go to the house of a foreigner. And at the end of your life, you groan when your flesh and body are consumed. And you say, how I hated discipline, and my heart despised reproof. How many have had some great friend? Well, they used to be your great friend, because once they said this, they were like, out. They're like, don't do it again. I, like, really care about you. Been there been that guy i don't want to hear it like you don't know her not adrian okay been there right i got married at 34 because i was a mess because we don't want to hear this we don't want real honesty from real feedback but here's what the bible says wounds from a friend can be trusted but the enemy multiplies kisses the enemy goes like "Ah, it'll be fine just get married just work it out what could go wrong That's what the enemy says. Okay. I did not listen to the voice of my teachers or incline my ear to my instructions. I am at the brink of utter ruin in the assembled congregation. And you know that Solomon wrote this with a little bit of, he knows the story. I mean, listen, when you're you're hitting around a thousand wives, not including the concubines, I, listen, I'm married to one person. And it can be a little bit stressful. And there are days where I'm like, am I crazy or is she crazy? You times that by a thousand. (laughs) You're going to do some things you're not proud of. Okay, I'm just telling you right now. You're going to say some stuff. You're going to be like, I don't even care. Just whatever it will take to quit the whining to stop, I'll do it. And that's what happened to Solomon. He was, this is where I feel, I'm at the brink of utter ruin in the assembled congregation. I think he felt that. Why is this guy ever? Listen, there's some of you who are really gifted here. You're gifted. And God has got a lot of great stuff for you. But you keep going back because you think that is what's going to save you. Codependent love gives temporary comfort and long-term pain. Uh, uh, Okay. So we've talked about toxic relationships, right? And I feel like I've... There's two people in the toxic relationship. There's the enabler person, right? The person that gets kind of the Gaston person. And then there's the, I just want you to save me. I'm the damsel in distress, and my whole life is a complete ruin until you come and rescue me. Right? I, and I've been in that relationship. I remember in my 20s, I was dating a girl that was in Tennessee, and she would come to North Carolina. And I, I knew that the relationship really wasn't working, and it wasn't right. And, like, I, she viewed me almost as her God, which in some ways is kind of cool. I mean, you know, it's like you can do no wrong. It's like, I know I am pretty great. Like, you want to massage my feet and you want to have my children and serve me? Like, I could have gone down the road of Gaston. I remember we went to um, 
they have one of those like miracle healing night at a church that I've never been to one of those. And I was like, miracles and healings and prophecy. I was like, let's go, let's go check this thing out. So I was thinking it was gonna be like a lot of people there. It was like 18. And I go, oh, hey. (laughs) And I'm sitting there, I'm like, and it's this lady, she's talking for like, like the miracle was I didn't fall asleep. Okay. I was like, (laughs) wow, this is painful. And eventually she's landing the plane. I'm like, okay, like I, you couldn't leave because there's so few people there. You, you know what I'm talking about? And so it's like, oh, I really, um, okay. So um, she's landing the plane, and I'm like, I, I, I'm going to, I didn't come for two hours of talking to not see one miracle. So anyway, she's like, all right, any of you people want to come up here? Um, I'll do the miracle and healings now. I'm like, thank God, here we go. So like, I'm in a line, I'll stand up. And she comes up to the first guy, and like, he had back problems. Whoa, bam! And he like falls up, and like, you know, he does that. <laughs> And I'm like, okay, this is going to be interesting. <laughs> and I, because I had no ailments, I just came up to see what would happen. And anyway, so the next guy comes up and it's like, you know, he's slain or whatever. He falls over and I'm like, you're not doing that to me, lady. And she walks up to me and she looks at me and she goes, never marry anyone you feel sorry for. I was like, we need to break up now. It was weird. It was crazy. <laughs> And that's what happens. Like, what's going on? If you're dating someone, you feel sorry for them. What are you doing? That makes not a marriage mate. It makes it feel like you're the savior. And you might get a high from that, but trust me, we do a lot of marriage counseling. And if you end up being the savior, here's the problem with that. You're going to fail as savior. And the person you're saving is going to get really upset that their God failed. And they're going to start controlling you. Because let me help you be a better God. I need you to do all the things that gods do, which is never fail. And I'll make sure you don't fail. You will not talk to those people. You will not look at those people. Those are the people that I, you, will, you will, listen, I want your attention. I want you. I want more, more of you. And listen, to, for the person being saved, you don't ever have to worry that they're going to find somebody else. They are unlocked on that you are their person. And when they get married, all of a sudden, they they're going to hold you in the palm of their hand. Adrian, I think you, you and I have seen this mm-hmm. like exponentially some, some of the marriage counseling we've done. You want to speak into that? Yes. So what Chris is describing with an enabler and then you have the codependent, both are codependent on each other, but typically there is an enabler and then you have the person that is usually more controlling. And so it's, it's exactly where Chris was at in terms of the savior person. So I'll just speak from what we've seen where the where the wife is more codependent and she's viewing the husband as the savior. It can go either way. It can go either way. It absolutely can. And I, I wouldn't even say it's more common for the female. I, I think that it really is pretty even split. But in the example where the man is kind of the savior and the, and the woman married someone that she felt like was kind of saving her, what often happens is she develops a codependent relationship with him. He fails her in some way because he is a sinner, and he will fail her. Everybody will fail their spouse to some level. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. Yeah. So she then decides what what I often see, I think so many times, is the woman then becomes very entitled to any freedom and any desire she has with zero limits on it so she can spend money however she wants she can she can go to talk to whoever she wants like there's there's no limitation on her lifestyle but then she has <coughs> huge 
control and a very short lease and an unreasonably strict limitations on her husband because she has to ensure that he won't fail in being her savior. And so she gets crazy possessive and is unreasonably requires things of him. And what's strange to me is a lot of times in order for that relationship to continue like that, the man has to kind of be obedient to his leash and sometimes it, it they are partially because they've had this unhealthy dynamic that's been going for forever and then sometimes conflict comes and I would uh, this is where I would argue that sometimes conflict coming from that's really healthy and can sometimes push them out of the codependent relationship I don't think you're doomed forever if you're in this codependent dynamic yeah I think that for us I think I grew out of that with you because I and maybe you had the same thing. We both grew out of it of being, I want someone to just obey and do their thing. And you became right. like, um, that's not how it's going to work. And I really grew from that of seeing someone, you're someone to serve, not someone mm-hmm. to just simply serve me. Because I think if you're in it for like a, a self-serving love, mm-hmm. then you have to, it has to shift somehow. And, and in what's tricky, I think, about codependency, we said this last service, that I, and I think it's really important to distinguish them, mm-hmm. is in a relationship, like in our dynamic specifically, right. where you have two people that are kind here to serve themselves <laughs> if we were left to our own devices that's that we're yep. watching out for number one all the time <laughs> and so in order for us to like gain trust with each other and right. to develop a healthy relationship there we do have to actually communicate some vulnerability and some like boundaries like I had to reach this point where I was like okay there's certain habits that you have that aren't working for me with boundaries with women and vice versa like there are certain things that I might be doing that aren't honoring of him and so we have had and like his phone like our phones are kind of free reign for each other we don't we don't have time to mess around and go digging through each other's phones but there's full access but there's full access and so and I think that that for us has been a healthy thing, that a productive thing. But those can sometimes be the same elements in a codependent situation where the there's it, instead of at the heart being this like we're working on trusting each other, we're working on serving each other, we're opening up our vulnerability to work together. And instead, it's like I'm just trying to control you with every possible vice that I have. And so a lot of times you can't look at the symptoms of the relationship and know you ha- you're, you have to it's the heart that is in each person and their, their core motive and their core need. And I think that that's a, that's a, something that you can, a counselor can help identify that. I think as an individual, you can help identify that, but I think it is super important to not release complete control and never have preferences and never communicate those and never have, you know, work out distrust issues, but man, there's a huge difference between controlling your spouse to be your savior and working with them to trust them and love them as you. Yeah. You might forward. be this couple if you've uh, broken up like a hundred times and got back together. You know, those couples, you might be like, don't raise your hand. Um, what happens is you get married and all of a sudden there's a lot of distrust in the relationship and uh, it's fixable. Listen, if that's you and you're married now, like we will work with you. We can help you. But if you're not married yet, what you're probably more worried about is not being nice. Like, I just, I just, listen, if I break up, they're going to go into a spiral, and I don't know how I'd feel about that. I don't want them, I don't want to be a bad guy. What I have to tell men a lot, because that's who I talk to on these things, is like, you learned how to be a jerk. Like, it's okay for them to, like, hate your guts for a while. It's actually the best thing for them so that they can move on. If you kind of, if you're always just stringing them along with, like, Oh, I feel so bad. Let me text just to check in on you. That's called the yo-yo. I'm going to just make sure I got my grip on you. Oh, you still you still in love with me? Good. All right. Now, who am I going to date over here? Oh, are you still with me? That's what that's doing. You guys know that? 
Like, everyone knows that, right? Like, you're like, what? The reason why he's texting me is not because he's interested. He just wants to make sure he has control over me. Yeah, that's exactly what's happening. That's, that's what's happening. All right, let's, let's kind of run into the last bit of this, all right? Uh, verse 15. Drink water from your own cistern, which everyone's like, what's a cistern? It's kind of like a well. All right, flowing water from your own well. Should your springs be scattered abroad? Streams of water in the streets. I'll let that ever sit in, settle with everybody for a second before I have to explain it. Does everyone know what this means? Do I need to explain that? You guys are good. Okay. Should your springs be scattered abroad, streams of water in the streets, let them be for yourself alone and not for strangers with you. Let your fountain be blessed <laughs> and rejoice in the wife of your youth. This is the, why you read the Bible. Austin, read the Bible. It's nonstop entertainment. Uh, you'll love this thing. Okay. Rejoice in the wife of your youth, a lovely deer, a graceful doe. Let her... <clears throat> Breasts fill you at all times with delight. Be intoxicated always in her love. Now listen to me. Listen to me. This is to where some of you are like, listen, version 2.0 of my wife, that makes sense. We're on version 6.0. And version 2.0 doesn't have the same form as version 6.0. So listen, I have certain addictions that I have to be intoxicated with. Now, now watch this, watch this. And so what happens, because it's never because um, she's not as attractive. That's been in your head because the culture says you must maintain this proper shape. You must look a certain way or else you could not possibly be wanted. That's what the culture's told you. And you've bought into it. And the whole culture has. That's why we got filters. Lots of filters. Have you ever posted a picture just raw? No, you haven't because there's needed for filters. All right, we won't go into that. So what happens, let me talk about sex for a second, okay? Everyone take notes. Here it is. When, you, when men have sex, something happens. Two, hor two hormones get released. When you have sex intercourse, a oxytocin is released. That's called the hugging hormone, okay? That bonds you together with that person. Also with that is released, it's called dopamine. It's the video game hormone or the, you know, whenever you get a like on Facebook, like, yay, look at me. All right, so that makes you want to do it again, and the oxytocin makes you want to do it with that person. You with me? Okay. Men, if you don't have oxytocin and you have a dopamine release, it makes it go darker and darker because then it changes form and there is no person you're connecting to. Now watch this. To which many people say, but Chris, I've been involved in porn for so long, I don't think I'll ever escape it. To go back to the wife of my youth, well, that's just not reality. Did you know that your brain is constantly readapting? And it's, there's neuroplasticity that is, it can change and transform. That's why a wife of your youth, version 2.0, can still be the wife of your youth, version 6.0, because the brain gets updated every time that there's sex. Does that make sense? When the hugging hormone, oxytocin, and dopamine are released, it makes you want the person in front of you. How awesome is God's design? Like, you don't even have to be a Christian for that. Like, you don't need Jesus for that. That's just how God designed human bodies. But you've got to know, you've got to trust the science. And that's what's really hard here. Because you're like, you don't understand what I've been through, what I've done, and who I've been with. And God does. Look at this. 
Why should you be intoxicated, my son, with a forbidden woman and embrace the bosom of an adulteress? For a man's ways are always before the eyes of the Lord, and he ponders all his paths. And this is the part where you're like, you're right. It is before God. He must hate everything I am. And I want to stop you right there. There's, that's why we sang that reckless love of God. He's coming for you passionately. He wants to pursue you. He wants to change you from the inside out. He, you come broken. You don't come perfected. You don't come having done this right. He specializes in broken people who've been addicted to the darkest of things to bring them out of the darkness to the light. But you got to trust him. So look, the iniquities of the wicked ensnare him, and he's fell fat, held fast in the cords of his sin. I can talk to you that there's almost every man I've talked to has been right here. And it feels like there's no hope, no freedom. But that's why the Bible also says we're all sinners and also says confess your sins one to another and pray for each other that you may be healed. And you, if you want healing, it's going to take you out of the darkness and to have the gospel prayed over you. Which is why when at the end of the service we have like four couple here, couple here, couple here, couple here. And they want you to come and pray. And it's like, I'm going to, here's my sin. And they're going to like, thank you for that confession. Let me pray the gospel over. I'm not going to give you like three steps to get better. It's No, it's, I'm going to pray the gospel resurrection power over your life. Do you believe the resurrection power? That's how you get out of the cords of sin. He dies for lack of discipline, and because of his great folly, he's led astray. Instant gratification leads to destruction. But listen, faithful love leads to satisfaction. Adrian, like, there's moments, even in our marriage, that you've had a temptation to run away, right? Like, we all kind of get there. Talk to us about that, and like, how do you lean into faithful love? So, the instant gratification... I think it's something that I think it, we all desire it at different times. And typically for me, when I get when when life feels really stressful, or if I get super depressed about something, or when I'm just struggling in general, my that's when my desire for instant gratification arises. So, and that's when the instant gratification I desire is almost always that high that I had in my early 20s. It's not, I, I think very rarely are we tempted by new sin, but it's often old sin where that, that did instantly gratify in, in seasons that we become tempted by. And so for me, that's what happens. It's like I, I kind of, re- I don't remember the loneliness. I don't remember the internal torment. I don't remember the, the like, guilt feeling or the shame feeling later I just remember the high that I felt when I was engaging in this instant gratification and I think that that feels really attractive that feels like something I want to escape to so there there's for sure times where life gets hard and I just wish I could escape being married and escape the fact that I have four kids that I love escape that I fact that I have responsibility like all of the all of those things feel like just a ball and chain that I just wish I could be freed of in moments of weakness and stress and, de- and and depression, and so I think for me what has been what has brought me to this pursuit of faithful love in these hard times is community for one. Yeah. I know Chris just kind of alluded to this, but confessing your sin out loud really does remove the power of sin. And it's strange. It's not something that um, – confessing sin for me, I always thought that had to be, like, very heavy. And we had to be having this, like, very awkward conversation with a friend. And who has time to, like, set up a very intense, formal, awkward conversation? And I, I don't. And so I thought – I always thought that's what confession of sin had to look like. But what I've learned more recently is it's often – 
sharing with a friend that this, the fact that I wish I could escape my entire life or that I am really having a hard time or that I'm really struggling or sending a Marco Polo <laughs> about these things and recognizing that like the minute that I've kind of shared it, the power is gone. The temptation is way less. It feels like a really stupid idea all I'll of a sudden. Tell all your Marco Polos. <laughs> you know, my Marco Polo's length, everybody should just have double speed if we're friends. Um, but I do think all in partner with community is the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit is powerful. And um, I have often felt like one thing I vividly, still vividly remember from this stage in my early 20s is when I would be a- engaging in a, a behavior that to kind of disassociate or to numb out or to, like, you know, get back at this disappointment – I always felt conviction, right. and I just would fight it. I would just ignore it. I would dismiss it, but I, it was always there, and it, it would often rob the joy of the moment because of the conviction, and, I, and so I know I can trust in the Holy Spirit in those times to act, and, he, and it always does, and I think that that's where the Holy Spirit then drives me to pursuing to, for us mutually. I mean, I think we both have to pursue no each doubt. other out of, out of discipline at times. There's weeks when Marriage it feels like work. There, you know, there's weeks when it feels like the majority of our interaction is like conflict. It's like I said something that like should never have been offensive and it was offensive. And then he said something that was like like, super annoying and I'm now really super annoyed. And then, or like, you know, we, we decide to play this game where we're like, you know, you're going to go there. Okay. Okay. Prison rules. Let's (laughs) do this. And like, that's ugly. And that can become kind of your MO for like four days in a row if you're not careful. And so then do you, you don't really want to go on a date night with that person like you don't want to go to dinner with them like you don't like them anymore like it's like well I just don't really and but forcing that forcing ourselves like booking a babysitter when we're like super irritated and then (coughs) experiencing the blessing of God in doing that and experiencing how the discipline of pursuing each other Even when it doesn't feel like it's going to be an instant gratification thing, <laughs> there's reward, there's blessing there. And what I have found, if there's a, if there's ever a time in our lives where we just like blow money at stuff, it's it's on us yes. having experiences that are fun together. Because sometimes dinner is actually a bad idea. <laughs> sometimes we really do just need to go have a fun experience and share that with each other to kind of like get out of whatever we're in. And I we think need to be companions again, like fun friends and. Yeah, it's like you have to remember why you like this person. Yeah. Like you, you do like this person, but you sometimes have to be reminded as to why you do. And I think sometimes Satan will use some of the frustrations and the r- discouragements of right. life to kind of create a distance that, that shouldn't be there and that isn't even really there. It just feels like it is. Right. So for me, what that has resulted in, and I think for both of us, yeah. I can speak for both of us on this, okay. is it's resulted in a forgiveness that comes faster, that leaning into faithful love, mm-hmm. resisting the instant gratification, trusting that God's design is fruitful and, and yields blessing. It, forgiveness comes a lot faster, and the acceptance of each other runs so much deeper. You forgot the other line there. So I, I do that last. Oh. You shouldn't be looking at my notes. Oh, okay. <laughs> so... Um, but like the Chris that I, the Chris that I married, I didn't realize quite how accessorized I was about to become. I, I really didn't, and he didn't realize that his accessory was like a barbed whip. Like he had no idea. <laughs> so 
we've like learned a lot about each other and we've learned some of the realities that we're married to and we've accepted that like pretty well yeah, yeah. so the acceptance of each other's like that depravity was really, that was, that was is pretty good metaphor. yeah thank you um and then on top of that the intimacy is better like the I- intimacy grows better with time like the oh, so that's why the door's locked yeah <laughs> <But> <laughs> But it takes, I'm here to say that it takes time. Like, five years wasn't enough time. Five years, and five years, y'all, I thought five years into marriage, we'd have some stuff figured out. And we really had, like, probably the peak of our issues at five years. And so, and here we are, we're only 10. So we're, we, we still have a long ways to go in terms of marriage experience. But I trust that, like, we'll continue to grow in this trajectory and and I think so for a lot of you guys, you're in some of these first 10 years where you're figuring out a lot and the acceptance that yeah. you need in each other, it's like painful. And and that will, if you continue to lean into this faithful love, one, faithful marriage is satisfying. Right. But ultimately, I think Chris is about to hit on this, is that it's it's a love far beyond marriage that's satisfying. But that comes because you're faithfully consistent in pursuing what and trusting God's design and and it yields blessing it just does can everyone give it up for Adrian (laughs) listen I I, I do want to make sure that you guys wrap your head around this is that listen it can feel hopeless when we talk about like all of this that man it's like an uphill battle and I want to like sometimes when I talk to people like Chris if we open up Pandora's box and we get into the issues of our marriage like I'm kind of good just sort of faking it and making it, and I don't even want to go there. Because when you open that up, a lot of stuff that I bury way down deep is going to go, and a volcano is going to come out. And I don't even know if I can do that, but I want to promise you, the God of the Bible is like master of restoration. And so matter if you're addicted to porn, you're addicted to whatever, you can heal that. And so there is no one that's too far gone. You've never, you, you are not of the purity culture, and so you've had a whole colorful past. I want, you are invited to the table. He comes after you, and he wants you, and he wants to spend time with you and reveal to you his love, his goodness, and his perfection that he's going to put inside of you because of the resurrection of our king. <laughs> yeah, we can clap for that, absolutely. So the, the question I want to leave us with uh, this morning is, is God love? Or is love God? And one of the ways that I want us to just sort of reminisce on this, and you're going to find a little communion cup thingy somewhere in your vicinity, uh, is I want us to take the Lord's Supper together. But before we do, I want to just take 30 seconds. If there's any sort of sin or darkness that you want to confess, just we're going to take 30 seconds of just like a 30-second space. And if this is a time where you're like, listen, I'm not a Christian. I've been kicking the tires of Jesus for a long time. Uh, But now today might be the day that you come to believe that Jesus died on the cross for your sins and he rose from the dead. And that might be just your prayer, like, God, I'm a sinner, help me. Save me. And if you are a Christian, I want to take the next 30 seconds and just kind of, just like pause. And ask God what you need to ask him for forgiveness for and find redemption, okay? So... So here's what I want us to do, all right? So we're going we're gonna to take 30 seconds, and we're going to bring confession to the Lord, okay?
I've been, I embrace, I'm all for the purity thing. I'm, I trust your design, but nothing seems to be happening. And time seems to be running out. But you said, God, delight yourself in the Lord. I'll give you desires of your heart. Well, where's my delight? And it's, I'm hurt, and I need to be reminded of your goodness. Confess my disappointment and have gospel power prayer. God, would you do a work, please, Jesus, this, this uh, morning in the lives of people here, that they would leave here transformed, not by words, but by spirit. We love you, God. In Jesus' name we pray. Everybody say I want you to imagine just for a second what would happen if we went from a place of self-serving love and said, I'm going to go to the God who is and have transformed me from the inside out. Imagine us not needing a person to be our Savior, but looking to Jesus as ours so that we can love, not from a place of I need you to be everything I need you to be because I can't do it without you, but from a place of I am so focused on my God, I can love you even in offense, even when you hurt me. 
I can forgive as I've been forgiven. Imagine if we didn't live for the instant gratification, but live for the forwarding and the ultimate satisfaction that God has for us. It would change you, this, your family, this church, to that city. Would you receive the benediction? Go and be a people who serve one another out of the love of God. Go and be a people who worship the God who is. And go and be a people who push back the darkness. Have an awesome week of worship. You are saved.